Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. And today we'd like to ask a question as Independence Day, as we celebrate as a nation, and it is this. Is the revolution still on? Is the revolution still on? To which we all ask, which revolution are you referring to? (laughs) A revolution of sacrificial love overcoming evil with good. A revolution of light, the light of the world, invading the darkness, setting the oppressed free. And then this one Jesus Christ turning to his followers and saying, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Is the revolution still on? It's on. A revolution of of, uh, love overcoming evil with good and as a church family as we follow Christ and those who have been rescued, redeemed, set free from the dominion of darkness called into the kingdom of light we have been given a mission and Jesus says follow me follow me as your Lord into a life of humble loving service let's do some good and live our lives for his glory in a way that will bring uh, cause others to say what is different about them and seek to to know him and follow him And so I was thinking, you know, it'd be neat liturgy for us as a church family if we, and this is not original of me, I don't know if anyone remembers, many years ago when Tim Timmons was with us, singer, songwriter, this is something he would call a few of his buddies who follow Christ every, I think it was either Memorial Day or July 4th weekend and say, hey, just one question, is the revolution still on? And the guys go, it's on, click, it's on, click, and thought, man, that'd be neat liturgy for us, wouldn't it? Every... Sunday that's closest to 4th of July, I will just ask, hey, is the revolution still on? The revolution of, that Christ calls us into, and we can all say, it's on. Let's carry on. Now, to help us, this whole idea of lock in, our goal is to lock in on Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on him. And we've been working our way through this letter of Colossians, which, which helps us to do that. The theme of this letter, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at what does it mean to lock in on Jesus, follow him as Lord in the realm of family. And so appreciated Pastor Tyson taking us into just all those relationships. Today, the Lord leads us into a, another really important realm, and that is the realm of our work, the, the daily work that God calls us into. How do we live like Jesus in the realm of, of our daily work? As you go to do your job. Now, whether that's, if you're a kid, maybe be like, hey, I don't have a job yet. Well, you know, your, your job is to serve the family, right? And mom and dad are the boss. If, if you're retired, well, then you have unique time in history that we can even have retirement but now you're your own boss to do what God's called you to do in the realm of life mission but we all have a job a daily work for us to do that God calls us into so how do we do our job do our daily work as Christ would do it so that is where we're at today if you would join me there in Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 we'll read through this text then we'll we we have some context issues to talk through 
then we'll, I'll share the big idea and then four practical application steps that God calls us to through this text. He begins in verse 22 as he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. The big uh, application that, that we can draw from this is employers, employee, and, and the work environment. But he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only when their eye is on you to carry their, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So three contextual issues to work through in this text. The first one is for the first century work environment that this is spoken into, specifically around slavery. When this church hears this letter read in a setting similar to the, or probably they were in a home, but, but they hear this, when they hear the word slaves, they don't see the same world we see when, when we hear that word slaves. They saw a different world. When we hear the word slaves, we think of the slavery that plagued our nation, plagued Britain, that was uh, eventually abolished. And we, we think abuse, we think oppression, we think injustice, and we think racism. Was slavery okay in this this first century world? The answer is absolutely not. It's never okay to traffic human beings. This grieves God's heart, and um, we should be opposed to it and seeking to overthrow any system that that is uh, marked by slavery. But it was radically different than the slavery we think of when we think of of what what we've processed through. It was the result of the Roman Empire was expanding, and it was a common practice in that day. If you lose the war, you just you will be slaves of the nation that, that took you. So as Rome was expanding, it would capture different nations, different peoples, and it would enlist them into slavery. There were, it was estimated, 60 million slaves at one point in the Roman Empire. It's tough to get a read exactly at this time, but uh, they estimate one in five or one-fifth of the population was in slavery. Now, because um, slavery was not connected to race, but rather captivity, and, and uh, you had people of all stratas of, of life. So very educated people. You had slaves who were doctors, um, slaves who were in the trade, slaves all over the place, different educations, teachers, etc. And as a slave, you could hold positions of respect and great responsibility within wealthy households. The one thing about slavery, though, that was common was a slave was owned by their master. They were considered property. Now, in this culture, there were some places where you could work your way into freedom, but while you were a slave, you were the property of, of that master. A slave's experience in the first century was radically different. Some had great lives, some had horrible lives. It all depended on the, uh, the goodwill of the master. What, what kind of master were they, were they serving? Next contextual issue that helps us unlock this text is that there is an elephant in the room as this part of the, the letter is read to this church that, that we don't feel today. But the elephant in the room, the obvious one, or the first one is, if there were 50 people in this church, 10 of them were slaves. And so this, they're 
I think it's going quiet. A number of them may have been masters as well. So this is going right at where they're living. But the, the big elephant in the room was a guy named Onesimus. Backstory, and Onesimus is in the house now. He's in the, the church. Backstory, this church met in a, a guy's home named Philemon. Philemon was a master. He had some slaves. One of those slaves was Onesimus. Onesimus takes off flees um, and, and um, basically leaves his master, ends up in Rome where Paul is in prison, ends up hearing about Jesus, becoming a follower of Christ, probably discipled by Paul. He became like a son to Paul. And now Paul sends Onesimus, this slave, back to the church his, and his master Philemon, carrying with another guy this letter that we have in our hands. And another letter, which is the last in the canon of, of, of that Paul wrote, named Philemon, a, a letter to Onesimus's master. So can you imagine if you're in this church, and this is being read for the first time, and there's Onesimus over here, and there's Philemon over here. What are you doing as this is being read? If you're just one of us, I'm looking out of the corner of my eyes, and I wonder how Onesimus is taking this, and Philemon, and how is this all going to go down and play out? What, what, what's going to be the result? of this. So significant um, elephant in the room. This brings us to our final contextual issue, and this is, this is really important. And uh, it's, it's doulos kyrios. And you might jot these words down. The word doulos is the first word we see in this text. It's the word translated slave. And it, it means just that. It's someone who is owned by another human being, completely dependent upon them and completely submissive to their will. Kyrios means master or Lord. And in this text, you hear it again and again and again, referred to as human masters, but also this is the word that, that God uses to describe Jesus and our relationship to him. Now, it's helpful for us to, to understand this in that doulos and kyrios, these two words form two sides of the same relationship, meaning you cannot be a doulos without a kyrios. If you're a doulos, you will have a kyrios. And if you are a kyrios, you will have a doulos. Say, okay, why does this matter? This is, this is huge and something I think we miss in our, our culture. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we profess him as Kyrios. Romans 10 9. If you profess Jesus as Lord and you believe him and believe in him in your heart, you will be saved. What we are saying, guys, is when we profess Jesus as Lord, we're, we're saying, I am his doulos, or, or I am his slave. Paul describes himself as the doulos of Christ, the slave of Christ, and he goes on to explain that this too is our calling and, and one of our identity markers in Romans chapter 6. He says this, verse 20, we'll skip down to verse 22, where he says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves, doulos of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what's the issue? When we think slave, 
it's so hard for, I know I struggled with this all week. I cannot get out of my head oppression, bondage, injustice, abuse, and all these things. And yet, to be a doulos of Christ is the exact opposite. <laughs> it's eternal life, it's joy, it's blessing, it's peace, it's, it's life at its very best. But it also means complete dependence. He owns me. And complete surrender to his will. Voluntary, and yet, there is no room for me ever to say, okay, the Lord wants me to do this. I, I have options. I might do this, might not. He is my curios. I am his doulos. A, a, a doulos. Now you say, okay, John, I, I see in the con, the the scriptures, the word servant, and this word doulos is used 124 times, often translated servant, and the reason is our English translators are sensitive to the stigma. We, when we see slave, we're not seeing first century, and we struggle with it, so to veer away from identifying with the slavery that, that marks our nation, they use the word servant. It's not the word, guys. There's a huge difference between servant and slave. A servant is hired and has options. A slave is owned. Nearly every time you see servant in Scripture in the New Testament, it is this word slave. Why is this important? It's huge in our sanctification process. I like the word servant. You know, it's like, okay, it's almost as if I'm doing God a favor. I will serve you, Lord. I don't like the word slave, but that's who I am. That's who we are. And as we understand going to work, we have to see this. We go to work, and in this context, you'll see, we go to work for the Lord, meaning we go to work as his slave. And what he's going to call us to here, these aren't options. These are, um, we take these as the will of our master, and we must live this out. So, does that make sense? That's a lot on a holiday weekend, I know. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with that. But, uh, but so here's the big idea. What, what's, as we look at this text, the overarching principle is this. Big idea. Go to work for the Lord. So we get up and go to the daily work that God's called us to, whether that's to, you know, mop the floor as a kid, or, or you know, retirement work, or our career work. We're going to work for the Lord. Our mindset is, today as I get up and go, I'm going to go offer this work as unto the Lord. My curios, meaning as his doulos, I go. Now, what difference does this make in our everyday lives? And this is where we see these four practices that, that God calls us to as his doulos throughout this text. The first one is, as we go to work for the Lord, it means this, I will be obeying my boss. Verse 22 says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, does this mean even if they call us to do something that's immoral or, or wrong or no, or that's a, this is a general guideline that, that we're to follow. And, and um, we know even in slavery, first we take the whole of Scripture that speaks into it. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21, Paul says, hey, if you can get your freedom, get your freedom as a slave. But he says, uh, obey your masters in everything, not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. And here it comes, reverence for our curios, the Lord. When we go to work for the Lord, it will impact how we relate to the people in authority over us. 
My master in heaven is calling me to obey my earthly authorities. And that is in the realm of work. And is there a perfect earthly authority? <laughs> nope, they all have flaws and, and uh, areas of improvement. And yet we are called to obedience. The uh, means when, when my boss says, hey, let's get this done, I'm getting it done. And it's interesting, did you notice it's with the right heart? It's uh, with sincerity of heart so that even when they're not looking, I'm still doing this. And it's out of reverence for the Lord. The, uh, I, I wish we had time to go around the room. This would be a fun small group activity, but just share, okay, what was your toughest job? And, you know, all throughout our lives, we could, I, we could fill up the day and the week with all the stories, I'm sure, of those toughest job moments. And times when, when it's just hard and it's, often it's the boss that makes it hard. But can you imagine as you're going around that circle, someone says, well, it was when I was a slave. And we'd all be like, we'd laugh, ah, yeah, what? And they're like, no, actually, I was a slave. We'd be like, okay, you win the contest of toughest job. If God is calling a slave to be obedient to their master in this context, how much more should I be obedient to my earthly authority or my authority at work in my work context, which is much easier or not as tough as the context in which these, these folks had to, to operate? So action step out of this. What if, what if at some point this week we go to our boss and we ask this one question? What is not getting done that I could do to, to advance whatever it is we're trying to do here at, at our work? Or what am I not doing that you would like to see done? And then this week, boom, we're on it. And can you imagine if what your boss the, is thinking after that, if every employee in his organization came up to him and said, hey, what's the one thing I'm not doing? And uh, be like, wow, um, that's Christ going to work um, as we go to work for the Lord. Second practice we see, so as we uh, go to work for the Lord, second practice is to bring my best effort. We see this in verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. I love it when he says, whatever you do. We tend to elevate this job or this career or this vocation or line of work. But here God is instilling dignity into whatever we do as we do it for him. God created us in his image, and this was pre-fall, pre-sin, to bring him glory as we co-create with him. It's one of the ways we, we glorify him as we manage and, and uh, oversee his creation as we go to work. At the fall, work became hard, and we know this is part of the curse where there was sweat, sweat, and blood um, through, thor through the thorns, and, and it's just hard. And not only is our work hard now, but our... Uh, the systems in which we work are broken and fallen. So how do we go to work as for the Lord in an environment now, in a world where work is hard and systems are broken? And he, here God is saying, guys, this is it. This is, this is it. Lock in on me as the Lord, as the one that you're serving, as your master. See me, see me, see me. The ten slaves in this church who are wondering, what? 
Here, I was, most of these slaves were born into slavery. You think about that, like no choice. And got to be thinking, okay, in our culture, we often think about fulfillment. I want to get the job that fulfills me. These guys may live their 70 years and never get to do what they want to do. They have to do the will of the master thinking, is this a waste of life? And here God is saying, no, you can live a life that is great in my eyes, mopping the bathroom floor every day when somebody telling you to do it, if you will mop that bathroom floor for me my child there is dignity in that there is a reason to get up and go every morning because mopping that floor is worship to the living God amen guys this is it this is our why Simon Sinek wow wise guy I'm being said I shouldn't be uh, sarcastic on that he is a great author and all that but 2009 pops onto the Ted Ted under the uh, business scene with the TED Talk, why? You ought to have a why in your life. And everybody's like, wow, what wisdom. <laughs> Jesus, follower, this is 2,000 years old. It's going to be good till the day we get to heaven. Whatever we're called to do. I remember the job I had college, getting through them. It was uh, picking up trash in the kitchen, and then from 10 to 12 at night, cleaning the locker room. Nobody watching. Was that just as honoring to the Lord as serving as a pastor or serving as a president? Absolutely. Based on the authority of his word right here. Whatever you do, do it. So Lord, you say, I can, someone's raising their hand saying, but why do I have to do it with all my heart, my best effort, bringing my best effort when they're treating me like that? And Paul says, here, here's, here's the why. Verse 24, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, from your curios as a reward. It is the curios Christ you are serving. The, uh, love this picture. What we do today, even if it's in the menial realm of mopping a kitchen floor, impacts our inheritance tomorrow. What a picture of, of hope. And so, so I was thinking, or as you think about your job and the daily work that God's given you, what could you do to level up this week? Just bring your best effort as worship, all right? So, you know, maybe may an area you've just gotten into a rut, now you're coasting, and, and you're just, you're just uh, not bringing your best, not worship. What could you do to take it next level? The uh, love this picture as worship. Coming back to, if I could, just if there's one thing we remember in this, the, as we bring our best effort, he just keeps coming. Do you see the theme there? Of, uh, it's the Lord who will give you this reward, and it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. And just continuing to lock in on our Lord. We're doing it for him out of gratitude for all that he's done for us. And then the uh, third practice that, that uh, as we go to work for the Lord that will mark our lives is, verse 25, it's, the practice is refuse to do wrong. He says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So there's one element where this is a comfort to us. If we're working for somebody who's just doing us wrong or an employee is doing us wrong, God's got our back, doesn't he? He's reminding us, hey, the Lord's, the Lord's got our back. But really, this is a protection for us. The great temptation at work, when someone hits us, what do we want to do? Hit him back, you shoot my dog, I'll kill your cat, tit for tat. 
and wrong for wrong. And yet, I, I keep hearing what my mom would teach us as we were growing up. John, two rights don't make a wrong. And so, as followers of Christ, he says, um, anyone who does wrong will re be repaid for the wrong. So, this is, a rule, this is like gravity. Jump out of a plane, you hit hard, you do wrong. There will be a consequence that God has just set into the order of the universe, and, and you will suffer for that. So in SMS, you run away, you're going to be in prison. Um, Philemon, you treat Onesimus wrong, your master in heaven is going to bring some, some discipline on that. So there's no favoritism, meaning God doesn't care. Even if we are his children, um, we're called to always do what is right. It's always right to do what is right. Stay in that lane. So question that, that comes to mind as we think about this in our work environment, are there any wrongs that need to be made right in my work environment? As an employer, have there been times when I've powered up over people and, and been overly uh, oppressive in, in what I've called them to or been greedy and not giving them what, what they deserve? Or employees, have there been times that I've not... Um, done what I should have done and done my work in, with integrity or with, uh, or maybe I've talked bad about the boss to other co-workers and rather than supporting them or whatever it means, whatever. And just making that right is important. And then fourth, uh, the fourth practice that we see as we go to work for the Lord here at verse four, chapter four, verse one, he says, masters provide your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And so, the, uh, the practice is provide what is right and fair for those in my care. Here God is calling those in authority to use their influence to provide and, and uh, what is right for those in their care, provide what is fair for those in their care. And you stop and think about the significance of this in this culture where slaves did not have, they were property, they, they had no value as a person. And what God is doing, you can see the subtle revolution going on where he is giving great dignity and value to slaves who, as people and calling masters to treat them as such. The, uh, the warning is sobering, I think. And it's interesting as he says, masters, it's the word Lord, kurios, provide your slaves with, with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master Lord in heaven. What's he saying here to masters? But when, when he tells a master, you have a master, what's he saying? What's the master assume? I am a doulas. <laughs> and I am a doulas who am, I am completely dependent on him for all that I have and must be completely submissive to him and do his will. Meaning, I don't have an option <laughs> in how I treat my slaves. I must treat them with what is right and fair and employees. So I think about our opportunity as those of us, when God grants us authority or positions of responsibility and influence, what an opportunity to bring heaven to earth. As it is in heaven, let it be here. As we create work environments marked by dignity and value and love, by a, we're, we're at, what if every employee just felt uplift when they came to work, you know? and felt appreciated, and felt like they were part of something that mattered, and felt like they, uh, they had input, and they were on an equal playing field with everybody, and there wasn't the oppression that we so, so often see. What if the goal of, of uh, you just 
think about, and then you see this play out. I look out here today and just see um, all of you, many of you that I know, and, and how you are going to your work and seeing that as worship, serving the Lord, and how it's heaven meeting earth in your work context. Just love the, the picture. Now, before we, we or a quick question, would I, as we think about how to apply this, how can I use my influence to provide what is right and fair for those in my care? As and those of us who have influence, could I encourage us just to take some time to really think about not so much the bottom line and the profit this week, but think about who God has around me employee-wise and how can I make work a place they just love coming to? It doesn't mean not uh, calling us up. And In fact, I think every one of us wants to, to do better. We want to try harder and, and achieve. But, but just what would it look like to... to Provide what is right and fair, and give some thought to that. That'd be good. The uh, one final question here that I, I wrestled with, and I often wrestle with when I come to these texts in Scripture. Why doesn't Paul, and God through Paul, just confront the system of slavery and just abolish it right here? Why, why doesn't he just say, slaves are all free, and masters set them all free, and all that? I would suggest, after much thought, reading uh, commentators on this as well and and uh, what is happening here is it is a revolution that, that that Paul is calling these folks to calling us to he is confronting the system and he is calling and giving us truth that will eventually dismantle the system and the revolution is through not through political change, not through powering up over people, but through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, invading our hearts, setting us free to love as he loves, that will upend the system, dismantle slavery and oppression and abuse at work, and it happens. And I must say, if you, an honest look at church history, not as much as it should have, as slavery, it was upended in the, uh, the Roman Empire, but crusades that came back but whenever the church gets concerned about power power is where the church goes to die those of us who who get tempted into thinking man we got to have political power to thrive power is the gospel of jesus christ lived out one life at a time by Lehman onesimus if we are living christ if you are living christ when you go to work whatever oppression it will be dismantled. It will be upended as we are faithful to do what our Lord Kyrios does as his doulos slave. Can I get an amen? That's our hope. That's what we see here. So well, how does it play out? I wish we had time to get in. This is another sermon, but, but Onesimus hands Philemon a, a letter, and it's, as I mentioned, the last letter there and of what Paul wrote, or as it's ordered in the canon, it's, uh, I'll, I'll just read a couple expert excerpts. It's one chapter, Philemon chapter 4. Paul says to this, this fellow, I, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Then he says, verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I ought to be, or I could be bold and order you to do what ought, you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now as a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, 
who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to, to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, who is my very heart. And I would have liked to have kept him here with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not be forced but voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever. And here's the the beautiful part of this. No longer as a slave, a doulas, but better than a doulas, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me and even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And my fellow followers of Jesus, the revolution is on. What if this week we go to work for the Lord? And as we lock in on Him, we're bringing um, our best effort, even when we're, we're in a demotivating work environment because we're seeing Him. And as we have to interact with flawed human authorities, how it goes with how they treat us doesn't affect how we're serving because we're we're serving our Lord, our curios. And as we lock in on Him, it holds us accountable for when somebody does us wrong and we're tempted to do them wrong back. Like, nope, I'm going to do what's right. My curios has my back. And as we lock in on Him, work is no longer that grind that we just sweat, sweat, bleed through to get to the weekend. But work is the dance floor upon which we bring our glory to our God. And the toughest days are the days we... In a weird way, we treasure in that, hey, if I have to sweat a little bit in service of him, the one who bled for me, let it be. We man up, we woman up, and we sweat a little bit for the glory of God. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to job shadow several of you. And of all that, that was during the sabbatical that you provided, might have been the most impactful, one of the most impactful experiences in that sabbatical. As I got to go watch what you do, and and uh, John Rogers watching, he washes uh, pretty much every, the front of every bus in Indigo from like three in the morning to whenever a shift's done. They come in after they're running through the night and he's right there washing the front of them, getting them ready and refilling, you know, window washer stuff. And I, I set a goal, a, BHAC, bu- a, a bucket list goal that one of these days I want to go ride an Indy bus and at night and sneak in the back and lay down on the floor and try to not be found. And when they pull back into the terminal and John comes to check the seats, I'm going to jump up and scare the daylights out of that dude. It's going to be good. Actually, he's not here today. Thank the Lord. He didn't hear that. (laughs) Even if he does know about it, it'll still scare him. But as John was going about his work, I just saw people he's interacting with love him. He's one of the, he's the family. He's He's taken Jesus into that bus environment. And then to go with Andrea Arfa, one of our prosecutors here in town, and, and see her, the justice system, that, that it's really the fabric that, that protects our culture against unraveling with evil, and, and the part that she's playing in that, and all the parts, the judge, Zelensky, and I know Fred and others who are part of this, being Christ in that environment. I got to go be with Carla Gregory, who has incredible mind, gifted, and has studied the sciences and medicine and helps kids who can't move, move by helping them get on a horse. And somehow when a kid is on a horse for a couple hours, the part, the muscles in their body sync up with the muscles in that horse and they can move better because of the therapy that that horse gives them. 
and watching her with patience and love just help this kid who can't move move better. It's like, wow. Going to, with Brandon Baker, and he, he loves uh, or has the gift of doing uh, decals and art and working with the computers and was hired by John Force in Brownsburg, the race driver who, a big part of, of our economy here in, um, in Brownsburg, the would, uh, and was team lead on all of their decal stuff. I got to watch him put decals on a race car. If a race car gets trashed, you know, at a race, they're calling him, and he's there quickly. Doesn't matter when, where. There he is, Brandon, showing up to put decals on this car. He, he creates them. Today, he is now, he and uh, his wife launched into their own business. He's doing his own decal business, and for the glory of God, and, and you just see God blessing and using, and then I look out and um, think about uh, Dylan and, uh, you know, Doug, and I see these crops, and like, wow, how does that happen? We have enough food to feed the world. Jesus followers saying, I'm going to bring my best to horticulture and to agronomy and, and even go to Purdue and uh, get a good education. <laughs> Mike, farmer, getting it done, and so that we can do this. And now you can, Mike tells me, you can plan a field GPS. You don't even have to put your hands on the tractor. How does that happen? Bringing best, the uh, Leah, we had a good friends. Della Martyrs were one of the best dogs ever. Gus was on his deathbed and they're hurt. I mean, they're hurt. And if you have a dog, you know, Larry's dog passed away a couple, it, it's part of the family. And Leah, veterinarian, came to their house and uh, Lenora was sharing just what it meant for her to just be there and, and uh, help them through that season and take Gus and, and all that stuff. Ramona, um, we're, this is going to be a long sermon. We're going to go around the room here. <laughs> but I love it how Ramona, um, love of sport, but she oversees our soccer league in town. But what's neat is she gets all these young people who are getting a job or, you know, don't, not old enough, 14, 15, whatever, says, hey, come be a ref. Ride your bike out here. Ride your moped out here. Get out here somehow and be a ref. And she trains them up on how to work. You better be on time. You better call it right. Don't whine, complain, suck it up. You have parents yelling at you. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> Not really, right? But you know, and you think about it. Think about um, our daughter worked at the, uh, with, for Tracy Shear and Danny and at the uh, you know, theater downtown. And, and what a cool opportunity. But, but learning, hey, this is... This is what it means to take money. This is what it means to serve people. And, and as they're ministering to our community through that, it's neat to see Jan working at Sheltering Wings and loving on people and caring for them. How do you get your boxes? Rick, FedEx, fly on these planes all over the, for the glory of God. It just, it fires you up. Rex Wilson, are you still working, Rex? Oh, not this morning. <laughs> 77 years old, when you drive through Danville and you see the print shop, I just think there's Rex, and it's ministering to people, bringing his best in the realm of, of work. And just, uh, I guess, uh, guys, as we go out, perhaps the greatest ministry we have is just that daily going out, doing our ordinary jobs for the Lord, for the Lord, for my curious. And God does his work. Amen. So may I just encourage you, keep on, keep on, well done, but may we keep on for him. And today we will wrap up our time, and it's fitting here as we celebrate our freedom that we just gather at the Victory 
celebration or the table where we worship the one who gave his life to save us from the insanity of trying to live independent from God. And as we come to this time of communion, I invite you to get, you can grab your elements and uh, prepare them. And I will grab mine as well. <laughs> the, uh, the bread represents the body of our Lord that was broken for us. What kind of curios, what kind of Lord do we have? We have a Lord who gave his life for us. And think about Philippians chapter 2. It says that even though he was God and is God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on humanity and he, he, he took on the form of a, and what's the word that, that's in our translations? took on the form of a what? A servant. Well, guess what that word is in the Greek? It's doulos. Our Lord took on the form of a slave to give his life, to become obedient to death, surrender his will to the will of the Father completely, and ultimately to die the death we deserved. I love it in John 15 where he says, I no longer call you doulas, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends, because you know the Father's business, but he goes on and we learn that we are more than slaves, we're more than friends, we're sons and daughters of the King because of what he did for us, giving his body and giving his, his blood to, uh, to pay the ransom that we could not. So I'll read some scripture around uh, the bread and then pray and we'll, or I'll pray and we'll read scripture and then I'll pray and we'll observe the cup. Father, as we uh, bow before you in these sacred moments and fix our eyes on your love for us, fix our eyes, Jesus, on you and what you've done for us, we thank you praise you, we worship you, Lord, for giving your all for us. Lord, as we take this bread, think about how you have given us new life and given us energy and, and abilities, a freedom now to follow you. We pray that we would live fully surrendered to you, fully devoted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.